you have to balance keeping the lights on with keeping an eye on the future, and that's that's the difficult part. You know, is it a leader from within the industry, outside the industry? I think it's it's more of a leader with the right mindset. Welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted, the show dedicated to innovation in the insurance industry. Each episode, you'll get a dose of thought leadership from the industry's top business minds, influencers, innovators, and executive leaders. If you want to transform your corner of the industry and exchange innovative ideas, you need to subscribe to this podcast. Now here's your host, Abel Travis. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast, dedicated to the topic of insurance innovation. Now, quickly, you know, I want to remind everybody, whatever uh, platform you're using to listen to this podcast, just click the subscribe button, whether it's on iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, or Stitcher, or whatever it may be. Um, That way, what's going to happen is every time a new episode of the podcast is published, you're going to automatically get this to that platform. Now, I just want to remind you, you know, I'm very excited about today's discussion, and I'm also very excited about the discussion that we're going to be having next week with Daniel Schreiber, the Chief Executive Officer of Lemonade. Now, you know, I do want to thank our sponsor of this episode of the podcast, and that's Vortex Legal. Innovation in the insurance field is exciting, and Vortex Legal is a unique and proven solution to help improve a company's loss ratio by substantially reducing legal expenses. You know, their nationwide network of local attorneys attend the voluminous and routine and predictable hearings for a flat rate, not an hourly rate. So Vortex Legal solution works with both staff counsel offices as well as outside law firms. They've saved many carriers millions of dollars. So if you want to learn more, just contact Jonathan Broder at 954-473-2648 or visit vortexlegal.com. You know, so today I'm very excited to be speaking with Michael Desiato. Now, Michael is the founder and chief executive officer of Risk Possible, a company that empowers carriers to reevaluate risks for changes in risk profile through continuous underwriting. You know, Michael, welcome to the podcast. It's great to have you here today. Oh, thank you, Abel. I uh, really appreciate it. Uh, like like I, I mentioned to you in our communications beforehand, uh, you know, it's it's so exciting to, to, to be in the business right now and it's so exciting to be talking to people like yourself and also you know the people listening to this podcast because th- this is you know it, it's it's um, something I'm, I'm really passionate about insurance and, and technology and I think there's a lot of really interesting things that have happened already and, and are going to be changing the business going forward so Michael you know I, I absolutely share that passion um, and I know that a lot of the listeners that listen to this podcast also share that passion you know, so so before we get started, um, just wanted to ask you a really quick question. So I, I know you're in Miami, and I know uh, you know Florida has been hit by a, somewhat of a trifecta of storms. You know, how are you guys coping, and how are things uh, how are things coming along? Well, I mean, you know, uh, South Florida, where where I where I live, um, really kind of dodged a bullet. Um, when when Irma was was coming through, um, it was uh, you know the first initial tracks were looked very scary, um, and, and and we were fortunate in South Florida at least uh, southeastern Florida at least that um, it a the the northern part of, of Cuba took took unfortunately a very big bad hit and and. and really powered down the storm and the storm tracked a little farther west. Now I'll tell you in the Keys, which which is one of my favorite places in the world, there are there are some keys uh, down by Key West, especially Big Pine Key, I believe in particular, that have been completely devastated. 
um, from from the storm, and it's it's a really really difficult situation where I think a lot of the people that even uh, live there are still having difficulty in some cases getting back and, and really getting things back together. Um, you know, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Palm Beach, and that I think uh, you know more than anything it was uh, wind, you know wind knocking down trees and knocking out power. I know on the west coast of Florida, um, you know similar per you know a little worse, um, but but I really think we we dodged a bullet and and you know people talk about oh you know it's been so many years we're due one we're so many years we're due one obviously this audience understanding the, the the nature of risk and the nature of hurricane risk better than anything I mean it could happen any year and I, I think uh, you know we we really need to be very cognizant of the fact that a really bad storm could cause a tremendous amount of destruction and a tremendous amount of losses for the industry as well I know that there's a lot of the industries that are starting to uh, to uh, communicate their losses and what the range around the losses are going to be. And, and some of these numbers are big. And it's, you know, with with Irma and then some of the other storms that hit the south in Texas. So while I'm well, I'm glad to hear that you all dodged the bullet down there. I know the industry is going to wind up taking a hit. So, you know, hopefully uh, we can be able to support uh, those that have been impacted there. You know, so so if you don't mind quickly, you know, give us some background of yourself and in your history. And then from there, just tell us about what risk possible is set out to do. Absolutely. So, you know, my background, Abel, is um, I, I was pretty much born into the insurance industry. Everybody in my family works in insurance. And I, I first started in insurance when I was about 15, 14, 15 years old in the summers. I would work in a file room. And uh, it was actually the first uh, taste of insure tech that I got, or at least, uh, you know, technology that I got in the workplace, which was in when I was uh, the summer, I believe, between uh, ninth or 10th grade or ninth or 10th or 10th or 10th to 11th, um, we, we worked on a big project uh, at the local insurance company I worked at where we were digitizing the file room. And the file room was all paper, and we were starting with manually scanning you know, paper insurance files into uh, into a system, so so we wouldn't have to have uh, the the paper documents anymore. Um, so that was kind of my first taste of that many years ago. Uh, since then, I've you know been been only working in the insurance industry. Started you know right after college. Um, worked uh, you know helped start a, an insurance premium finance company. Uh, then worked uh, just a ton in the same local insurance company here um, in product management. You know, uh, managing agency relationships. Uh, Managing what the book of business uh, was doing, managing rate filings, et cetera, all within the small commercial space. Uh, then I had a great opportunity to uh, to work on uh, building our um, online quoting platform. So you know, tech, I, I had an undergraduate degree in um, finance and entrepreneurship from Babson College, which great institution. Um, and you know, one of the things uh, that 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 I, I did need to learn, and I was was pretty much self-taught uh, was was programming because we didn't have a really good way to um, get quotes to the agent as fast as possible, the independent agent. So, uh, you know, me with, with some, some other folks here, we, we, we took it upon ourselves to, to build a CD on, on to quote artisan contractors. And we would send those, that's those CDs to our agents so they could install it on their computers and, and quote artisan contractors in their office. That evolved to a website, uh, evolved to straight through processing. And, uh, you know, it's been a great source of, of new business for, for that company ever, you know, since I've left as well. Um, from there, I, I was able to, um, you know, I took some time off to do an MBA, um, which was great, kind of saying, you know, a little bit of a career reset, uh, seeing what, where, where else I wanted to, to go in the business, never really taking my eyes, eyes off insurance. Um, and I, I was able to do um, 
uh, a great uh, some some really interesting work with with travelers in product management uh, on the personal line side, which I hadn't had exposure to. And then uh, my family we wanted to move back to Miami, and I got a, a great role with uh, Swiss Re uh, doing corporate development and, and strategy, and and that was where I was able to you know, see the, the international world of insurance. You know, I worked at a local carrier uh, that's focused, that focused just on Florida. I worked at Travelers, uh, which was, was nationwide and personal lines. And then I was able to, to do some really interesting work in strategy and M&A with Swiss Re globally. I did projects in Mexico, Colombia, Brazil, and China. I really did, in the four years or so I was with Swiss Re, nothing in the U.S. Um, you know, a couple, you know, I would say about half a year, almost a year ago, um, you know, the, the entrepreneurial side of me was, was coming out again. And I, I really saw um, a, a, a interesting opportunity and an interesting disconnect because I've seen so many different levels of the business from, you know, real almost, uh, you know, $500, you know, BOP-like policies to, you know, multi-million dollar uh, policies for oil rigs. And I saw that, that, that we, we really needed in the business to stop acting like rule machines, like human rule machines, and more as underwriters or product managers, and more like traders, more like hedge fund traders at the end of the day, removing any of the negative connotation that anybody might have of that. But, but really, you know, a trader that is constantly looking at their portfolio, seeing where it's going, um, and making changes and, and action, taking actions with, with, with data that they're receiving about their portfolio. So the idea of risk possible really came from that, which is, you know, how, what's the tool that I always wish I had when managing a portfolio of risks? And the tool that I always wish I had was after I sold the policy, after the policy was sold, how do I keep tabs on it? How do I set triggers and how do I set parameters around the policies, policies in force to be able to take action if something drastic happens in them? So, so the, 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 that's that's I think the real underlying concept. You know, I guess the thesis behind behind Rich Possible is is giving a tool to underwriters and product managers um, to be able to monitor their portfolios and continuously underwriting it using third party data and using some data that that we're we're gathering as well. And that that that's kind of the the, the heart of it. Where we're at right now is we're focusing primarily on on three industries: one, restaurants. Uh, two nursing facilities and three the the, the trucking industry um, restaurant and nursing facilities um, there is a great deal of public information around inspections uh, for those for those industries that, that that can be obtained from governmental websites um, it's it sounds easier than it is and i'm I'm, I'm glad of that because it gives us you know it gives us a reason for existing you know you really do have to I like to call it Tame it. I mean, te- technically, if you know the technical process, you got to clean the data, extract it, translate it, load it, um, and, and make it useful. And um, and that's on on those two sides. And then on the commercial trucking, there is a interesting mandate that's coming into effect, and in, I think in 50, 50 days or so, that uh, all trucks and, and many large fleets do, but the smaller ones don't um, have to have something called an ELD, an electronic logging device. And uh, there, there's that's going to be a, a tool that's going to um, basically create an electronic log for when when the truck is used who's who's driving the truck how long did they drive it for when did they turn it on when did they turn it off and and uh, how long were they driving for so it's going there's going to be a real interesting uh, surge of information there in the commercial trucking industry which is which is one of the hardest markets right now in all of the the, the commercial business in the US so you know the, the the idea is to start with these these target targeted markets um, build the tool and and that's that's the process that we're in right now build the tool to allow underwriters to 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 act more like traders and 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 uh, take action 
transaction when, for example, a restaurant that they insure has had um, you know, a, a terrible inspection where they've gotten a, in Florida, they call it at least, an administrative action uh, by, by the, uh, the, regu- the, the regulator or they've gotten shut down for, for roach infestation or something like that um, and, and allow the, the underwriter to decide at that moment in time what they would like to do with that policy. Uh, in the nursing facilities, for example, um, if you look uh, at one of the things we were talking about, Irma, one of the, the, the horrific things that happened after Irma is there was a facility here in Hollywood, Florida, after the storm, uh, 13, between 13 to 15, unfortunately, I don't have the, the exact number in my head, but between 13 to 15 people died in that nursing facility after the storm, you know, allegedly because of uh, heat-related heat uh, issues. They had trouble with the generator. They had trouble with the transformer. But the interesting thing is, you know, in that horrific event, the interesting thing is you, you look back at the I- I- inspections, Three months before they got cited for an issue with their generator, for generator maintenance. Six months before they got cited as well for, 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 for that. And, um, you know, obviously it's, it's fine to, to look at things ex post like that. But if you were an underwriter with a portfolio of nursing home facilities in hurricane-prone areas, you would want to know which one of your facilities have had trouble with, with this particular uh, item in the inspection. And you would want to know going forward if somebody, that, if a facility that looked good has now all of a sudden gotten, um, you know, poor marks on their, their inspections for, for something like generator maintenance, for example. And that, that's, that's really where the interesting part of the tool comes in. You have the data set. And I think one of the interesting, you know, in the business, we're getting a lot of, in the insurance business, we're getting a lot of new data sets coming out. But, but the question is, how do you use it and how can you use it on a day-to-day basis? Because the information is not static, just like the risk isn't static. So, so that's, that's pretty much the thesis behind and, and what we're doing with Risk Possible right now. Yeah, you know, you know, Michael, you know, you mentioned a lot of things that I'm hoping to unpack here. Um, you know, but first I wanted to say, uh, so you just knowing your background uh, with an undergrad degree in finance and entrepreneurship. Interestingly enough, we have a really similar undergrad. So mine was finance and economics. My grad was actually finance and entrepreneurship. And sort of that that's what led me to drive into the insurance industry. Now, now, just thinking about what you said about risk possible, you know, so uh, during the underwriting process, uh, it, the information that's collected, you know, it, it may be based on a moment in time. Uh, and that's how the, the current underwriting process works today. So what this reminds me of is during my underwriting days, I remember my first seven-figure loss, and it was a multi-million dollar loss, the first one that I ever had. And that loss was a woodworker. And what that woodworker decided to do was to eliminate the contract for delivery and they began to do the delivery on their own, even though they, they did not have the expertise around what it takes to deliver. You know, there's a lot of things that you want to make sure are in place prior to deciding to take on a new exposure within your organization. So w- within that loss, because the individuals actually didn't have the expertise around the delivery, uh, what happened was, you know, uh, they were carrying this heavy, this very heavy piece of woodwork. And one of the individuals that was carrying the woodwork stepped away and that that piece of woodwork wound up falling on one of the other individuals that was that that was assisting there. You know, so uh, what what wound up happening was that culminated into a multi-million dollar claim uh, because of what happened there. Now, you mentioned um, the nursing facility where, you know, uh, they where multiple individuals were uh, unfortunately, you know, sad to say this, but 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 they they were killed, um, you know, in, during the storms because of uh, information that 
with, with because of issues around the heating and that information actually came came about uh, with the inspection uh, just a few months prior to that. So I think that, you know, with what you're doing with Risk Possible, that's where the benefit and the value comes in with continuous underwriting, whereby as this information is being made available, underwriters can then take the information through your platform and then really understand the changes in the exposure that's going to drive the potential for a large claim like this loss that I just mentioned or for something even worse, like we've seen in this nursing home in Florida. You know, so with, with, your, uh, with your platform, what's the expectation for carriers to use this information? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the expectation is for, um, for them to, to merge it with um, two things, uh, with, with their typical, their, their standard inspection process, so things they look for in, when they inspect the risk, when they send their own inspectors or, or third-party inspectors and say, how can I use the public information um, to, to, to monitor this stuff that I'm looking for at the beginning. Uh, also, it's, I think it's, it's also to, to set up, well, actually, I'm going to add a third, but the second is, you know, to set up for if there is a, a really, you know, uh, really out there situation, you, you can cancel midterm. I, you know, I, I, I dug into a project where I was trying to find, and, and, and luckily there, there had been some other previous work, so I was able to summarize it, uh, of, you know, all the, the, the statutory midterm cancellation um, criteria for, for every state uh, in, the, in the U.S. And, and you know, bar- barring some states like Vermont that make it very hard, uh, there are a lot of states like Florida where you can cancel midterm if there's a substantial change in the risk. You know, and I, I would say that a facility that gets shut down, let's just say that across the board, a restaurant, nursing home, and there's many others on there, a facility that gets shut down for something would, 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 could definitely fall into that bucket for a substantial change in risk. And you look at a state like California, and they've gone a step further, and there's, there's a handful, I would say more than a handful of states that do it in the same way. And California says, you know, you can cancel midterm if there's violations of regulations uh, establishing safety standards. So, so I, I think it's looking more at you know if there is something you really want to get off, how you can you know get, get off of it in, in midterm. And I think looking on the positive side or, or the retention side, you know there there are a lot of facilities and a lot of business out there out there that are run very well. And how do you you know have a n- another factor to be able to identify those really well run businesses to retain them at at renewal time? So I think those are the three main ways that, that a carrier could really begin using it right now. Yeah, and I and I believe that as well. You know, uh, so as you mentioned, how you could potentially get off of a risk that whose risk profile has changed so significantly. Again, like the example that that I gave um, and that you gave earlier, you know, that it may drive a completely different profile for those risks. So what we're seeing is, you know, that uh, the the technology that that you've designed um, and working and partnering it with uh, with some of these incumbent carriers uh, to be able to do that continuing um, the continuous underwriting you know so so as I mentioned you know I believe that you know with this wave of new technology we are going to see somewhat of a symbiotic relationship between incumbents and startups or uh, organizations that provide platforms just like what you all are providing you know so overall do you see this as the best way to innovate for the insurance industry I, I think it's absolutely the best way I, I you know I, um, uh, you know I am I guess I would not consider myself an outsider to the industry in any way shape or form um, but you know it's 
you know, I love the business. Um, I, I think it's a great way. That, you know, there's there's a lot of um, there there's a lot to be to be learned from people that are coming from other industries and being attracted to to insurance. I think it's difficult if you know if you're a big carrier and you know, and I, I've I've worked in them. It's difficult to innovate inside the carrier as well because you know you, you have a great business that you're trying to maintain and shareholder value that you're trying to maintain so I think that 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 partnering aspect with with startups and incumbents is, is essential I think it's a essential uh, way to to really push things forward you know uh, in in a lot of insurance carriers are truly focusing on that shareholder value right and that's what I recognize a lot, you know, that that drives a lot of uh, the innovators dilemma because they're focused on shareholders value. Uh, they're not really putting a lot of effort or, or time and resource. I wouldn't say effort, more resource and time uh, into the things that might turn into uh, different profit centers, uh, you know, for their organization. You know, so um, so when I think about the future of insurance, you know, I often read about insurance moving towards uh, embedding uh, either in the the things that people are buying on a day to day basis, or I read about um, in uh, some technology uh, enhancements and technology innovations, like things that you're doing potentially being embedded in the underwriting process. Uh, so as underwriters are, are using the underwriting process and as they're managing their portfolio, uh, they're able to better understand the long-term value and long-term viability of the portfolio through what you have to offer with risk possible. You know, so do you see this as something that's going to change how you decide to offer risk possible to carriers in the future and even, you know, how incumbent carriers will handle risk on an ongoing basis? You know, the, the the real the vision is to like like I was talking about to to move towards the 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 active trader mentality and 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 the positive things about that. Um, I think it's going to allow carriers to improve uh, you know improve their 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 loss ratios. I think it's going to allow carriers to more efficiently uh, allocate capital. To, to different to different lines of business, and I, I think it's going to allow them uh, to to attract um, you know attract and, and retain talent that that may be more interested in a faster paced uh, you know a faster paced type of business where where they can apply their um, their 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 analytical skills um, on a, a more on a, on a faster paced day to day basis. I think um, Brian Dupro was saying, and I, I saw a quote from him a couple of weeks ago that the underwriter of the future is going to be you know fifty percent underwriter, you know fifty percent data scientist, and uh, you know that that's that's really the positioning that that we're looking for here is you know that that that's and I agree with that wholeheartedly. That's the underwriter of the future, and this these are the type of tools that the underwriter of the future is going to want. Yeah. And, you know, and I and I agree with that as well. You know, I, I think about that analogy that you gave around the active trader, you know, wanting to understand the different elements of your portfolio on an ongoing basis. And that's going to help to drive better results. And and you talk about, you know, providing that re, uh, those results for the street and for shareholders. And, um, you know, I, I think overall uh, being able to manage your portfolio of of accounts is going to help to um, to enable that better profitability for the pro- portfolio, which is then going to lead to better profitability for the organization. You know, so then as I as I think about that angle, I, I begin to you know to think really about uh, how insurers and incumbent carriers are starting to look at innovation and then introducing uh, you know new things. So a lot of carriers are looking at innovation as introducing new products. But 
what you're doing actually is you're introducing a tool that insurers can leverage within their underwriting process as a part of the value chain in order to improve the underwriting process. So, you know, what, what, what you're doing is you're focusing on one thing and then a lot of the other, what we now brand insure tax or insurance technology companies are starting to pick away at portions of the value chain. Um, and they're just taking it, you know, piece by piece. So as I mentioned, you know, and as you mentioned, you're doing it with the underwriting process and you're providing the value add to the underwriting process to improve profitability and to improve the outlook of the portfolio. You know, so from your perspective, do you see this as the better way to innovate um, the the insurance value chain or do you see uh, there being other things that could be leveraged in order to innovate the different ele- uh, elements of the value chain? Well, I mean, the, the, the reason I'm in this particular uh, part of the, the you know part, part of the business is because it's because it's what I know. Um, I think it's the you know so that's first you know I know I know data I know I know software development I know insurance from a portfolio level and I know you know frontline underwriting so that that's really why I guess you know we're here. Um, I do think there are tremendous things to do on the distribution side, um, tremendous things to do. Things to do on the uh, the personalization of, of policies and 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 some new configurations of different types of coverage for for your personal exposures, um, and I think there's a lot to, to you know to be done there. You know, one of the things when we were talking when we were kind of going back and you know back and forth, uh, you know, as far as what we were going to discuss today, uh, I, I was looking. At, at something that uh, that Porsche uh, had, had has just uh, came out with last week, and they came up with a subscription for you know the Porsche subscription. So you pay, I think the the first package is like two thousand dollars a month, and which is a lot, um, but you know it's two thousand dollars a month, and you can have you know this. I think it's that's the entry level one, so you can have the the the, the first you know the entry level Porsches. You can pick which one you want. You can have one for two weeks, another one for three weeks, etc. The interesting part about that is that in that 2000, insurance is baked in already. And that, and that is very interesting. I mean, that, that is not really a, a – there is a technology side of it, which is, which is you know, getting, making sure the cars are in stock and all that sort of thing. But as far as like an, an, an innovation on, on how auto insurance is distributed, I mean, I, I wholeheartedly believe that that is a model. I mean, I would sign up for that model if it was, you know, within my, uh, within my, my, my range, you know, and, and have everything baked in, the maintenance, the insurance, and you pick from, from a, a, you know, a, a lineup of cars. Uh, that that to me is something very interesting that's happening. That is kind of uh, I think they would call it now. You know, insurance is part of the ecosystem. Uh, just just something really cool I wanted to share. Yeah, you know, um, and and Tesla is actually another example. You know, they started testing the markets around baking and embedding insurance into the contract. So as you're as you purchase a Tesla, same thing that that Porsche is doing. You don't have to worry about the insurance element of it because you're already going to get that as a part of it. And I think with the changes in technology. It's it's uh, prudent of those organizations to rethink how you offer insurance because of things like autonomous vehicles, where that's becoming a little bit more ubiquitous in the marketplace, especially with, with Teslas and with other um, with other uh, auto uh, companies that are that are sort of trying to put the same uh, thought process and same innovation forward. So that then starts to blur the line between where the liability lies. You know, is it in the uh, uh, the the individual that's behind the wheel, even though the vehicle had control at the time, 
uh, or is it fully in the vehicle? So so I, I think exactly to the point that you made about Porsche, what you're going to see is uh, more embedding of, uh, of coverage and of insurance, you know, as uh, these um, different products are being offered. But, you know, what, what I do want to also touch on are, are two things that you specifically mentioned. So you mentioned uh, the distribution and then you also mentioned the personalization as, as to where we may see things moving in our industry. And what that reminds me of is uh, our, our companies that are not within our industry, but there's an opportunity to think about some of the things that they uh, design, you know, for their own industry. So I think about Google um, as an example, and I think about Amazon as another example where, you know, uh, we as uh, policyholders or we as just as people, we're used to getting a product where there's a high level um, of personalization that's that's associated with it. And from a distribution perspective, we're used to getting it really quickly uh, and we're used to getting it through different channels and different models, whether it's an app on our phone or, or whether it's electronically or whatever that whatever that may be. You know, so um, so from from your perspective, you know, what do you think incumbent carriers can learn from companies like Porsche or Tesla or Google or Amazon? You know, those companies that are really innovating, whether it's the part of the insurance value chain or the value chain in the markets in which they play in and they control. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I you know, when, when you look at um, when you look at what incumbents can do or should, you know, should be, be thinking of is, you know, how how their expertise, what what, what they bring that's special to the table can can be part of a, a you know a, a a different type of distribution you know scenario you know uh, you you look at you look at um, you know companies like like Amazon for example and, and you know they there it's more like a, a winner take all but I, I you know there there's certainly you know companies that distribute their product through Amazon that have done really well by 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 marrying themselves to the process uh, marrying themselves to, to that particular distribution uh, setup and 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 really leveraging it so I think you know really what an incumbent needs to do is be be, be ready to be flexible in, in the future because the product is going to get distributed in different ways it's going to get distributed in different packages but the the you know the the real essence of what you know as an underwriter or what you know as far as how to deploy risk capital in the most efficient way possible that's your secret sauce so being flexible about how you're deploying that secret sauce I think is is the way to to uh, to get to success in the future yeah, you know, I, I fully agree with that. And, and I know you mentioned Amazon. And when we think about Amazon, Amazon actually did something where they started to control the entire value chain from, you know, the uh, the ownership, let's say, of the warehouses through how it's distribute, uh, distributed to the, where, uh, to, to the website, all the way through uh, the delivery of the product. They're starting to introduce, you know, Amazon, uh, Africa, I think it's Amazon Flex is what it's called, where uh, they have people under their umbrella. They actually took the Uber model um, and they're uh, employing people like yourself or myself or, or, or anyone to take the product and deliver it within a, a certain market. You know, so so they're really controlling uh, the entire distribution and, and the entire value chain, um, you know, from from that perspective. You know, so when I when I look at uh, companies like Amazon and then when I look at companies uh, incumbent carriers within the insurance industry, what I recognize is that companies like Amazon, 
they're not actually innovating from the inside. They're, they're getting uh, individuals with subject matter expertise in so many different industries and in different areas, and they're taking that expertise in order to innovate, in order to innovate. Whereby when I look at uh, commercial carriers and incumbent carriers, I see a lot of the leaders come from the rank and file. So do you think that bringing in someone, let's say external or maybe from uh, uh, from from another industry uh, is going to help to continue to drive innovation within an organization and help the organization do it well and find different profit centers through using um, subject matter expertise that's somewhat associating to uh, from different industries? Yes. I mean, I, I think the winners will do that. Um, you know, it's easier said than done, right? Because you, like we talked earlier, you, you do have to keep, you have to keep, you have to balance keeping the lights on with keeping an eye on the future. And that's, that's the difficult part. You know, is it a leader from within the industry, outside the industry? I think it's, it's more of a leader with the right mindset. Um, you know, it's, it's, if you just look within, within your industry, you're, you're always going to get burned by the market um, in the long run. You know, you, I, I, yes, absolutely. You have to be open to, to ideas outside. Uh, you have to be open to uh, new ways of, of, of doing things. And I, I, I think that, you know, if you keep blinders on, it just, it just won't work. Um, uh, you know, it, 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 all it would take, you know, for, for, for somebody to, to outmaneuver you um, is, is, uh, is, is a different perspective. And I think that retailers, you know, retail, I think, is the really interesting business or the industry, interesting industry to look at for industries that have gotten completely decimated by, by, by on, online shopping. Not completely, but for the, for the most part. And, and you look at retailers that were smart and mixed the, the keeping the storefront with a really good online present, really good, um, you know, working through social media, really good um, uh, presence on both sides were, were, you know, are able to survive and ones that, that really weren't able to, to mix those two models, uh, obviously with providing good products at, at the core, um, uh, are, are really, really struggling now. It's, it's an incredible case study for, 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 for how not to react to, uh, to, to innovation. And I absolutely agree with that, especially the example around uh, what retailers are doing. Um, I, I do think the one difference in our industry, um, which could at points be a hindrance to innovation, is the level of regulatory oversight uh, that, that we have in our industry. And I know that's absolutely necessary in order to ensure that we're doing the right thing for the policyholder um, and for the customer. Now, uh, to, to the point that you made, you know, uh, there could be uh, uh, companies that are going to outmaneuver, uh, you know, some of the incumbent carriers, and they're going to outmaneuver them probably on on so a multitudes of of different fronts, and that could be with the distribution. That could even be through partnering from a regulatory perspective, uh, you know, just in terms of being able to outmaneuver that. So, so with the regulatory uh, oversight, you know, that as I mentioned, that's a driver of why new product development sometimes in our industry may be a little slow. And, and I see that every day in, in what I do in terms of product management and, and product development is that as we're trying to introduce something new, because a lot of states haven't seen what we're doing, we spend a lot of time really educating the states on what we're trying to do in order for them to then uh, create an opinion on what we're trying to design and, and do and then, you know, get the approvals in order to begin to use those new products. So, you know, any thoughts on how to change the regulatory process to more quickly adopt changes and, in general, just innovation for our industry? You know, I, I think it's a, a, an education 
uh, standpoint, you know, from, from an education am- angle with, with regulatory, uh, you know, groups, um, I, I think they're, they're, they're definitely trying that. Um, but but at, the, at the same time, I, I'm a firm believer that the regulations are in there for, for a good reason. Um, and, and, you know, they, you know, having worked in other parts of the world in insurance, um, I, I would say that I was surprised how much more stringent the regulatory environment is in a place like Colombia, for example, than it is in, in the U.S. Um, so, um, you know, I, I definitely think that regulators um, need to understand the the, the, the technological innovations. I think that, um, you know, carriers are like, like exactly what you're doing are going to have to grind it out. Um, you know, it's, 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 I, I don't see a real silver bullet to that other than, you know, it's going to reward the carriers that, that, that foster good relationships with their regulators that are transparent in what they're doing um, and that do have the, the consumer's best interest in mind. Um, that's that's going to be, you know, A, it's gonna, you're going to win the marketplace with that and B, that the regulator at the end of the day is looking for, you know, stability in the market and what's best for the consumer. Thinking back to my early days, I, I did a, um, an internship at a company over in England uh, at one point in time. And I remember, you know, talking about regulation and, and I was doing an underwriting internship at that time. But as we were talking about the regulation, we actually made a comparison between the regulation in England uh, and the regulation in, in the U.S. And, and uh, you know, while Colombia is, is probably much more stringent, uh, stringent England, uh, while they're regulated by the FSA, even with the insurance industry, um, I, I think it's it's a little bit less. And what we always pointed to uh, was the um, uh, the legal environment uh, in the in the United States, you know, where uh, here uh, the environment was always a little bit more litigious. So the regulators in the U.K., uh, you know, had a different eye towards what regulation was required and, and, and what it looked like there. You know, but but what I what I do think is, um, you know, being able to to really understand the entire underwriting process and being able to better provide value uh, back out to our to agents and to policyholders will help with that education piece in terms of how we're going to treat uh, agents and policyholders. And as you mentioned, you know, it's ap- the regulation, I believe the same thing. It's absolutely important. Uh, but, you know, um, from an innovation perspective, I think there's opportunity to to do that education with the regulators um, and then have them understand a little bit better, you know, what uh, we as an industry are trying to accomplish. Um, and that, you know, our, our goal is always towards the the best uh, towards the best interest of our agents and, and of our policyholders within this industry. And, and I actually think that's where risk possible uh, comes in. You know, because it enables that continuous underwriting, not only to get the value from a carrier perspective in terms of just understanding the risk, uh, but to also um, help the policyholder and help the agent understand their risk profile and understand their exposures a little bit better because they may uh, do something throughout the year uh, that provides, you know, more of a risk and that's going to change adversely their risk profile. You know, so so I absolutely think that what you guys have designed and what you guys are doing is going to provide so much significant value, not only to the underwriting process, but also to our agents and insureds. Yeah, I mean, if you can get if you can get policyholders um, understanding that because of 
you know, XYZ external data, their risk profile has changed and and maybe you're not necessarily canceling their policy midterm, but you're requesting, you know, please take a look at these particular factors. You know, we'd like to inspect on these particular factors. You know, I I don't think a lot of these things are coming from a, you know, a lot of these changes in in risk profiles are coming from a a place of malice. It may be that, you know, nudging in the right direction is, hey, you know, we're seeing a lot of this. Maybe you should, you know, upgrade your, your, your fire suppression system. You know, we, we think it's it's too old or, you know, you should take a look. Let's just go back to the generators, make, you know, have the generators maintenance or the generators replaced. Um, you know, th- there's a lot of positive benefits. And then also just coming around to the, to the businesses that are run really well and, and rewarding them for, for things other than, you know, loss experience and, and, and years with the company or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, you know, so so Michael, um, I I do want to thank you uh, for your time taken here today. Uh, you know, what what I like to do is just ask, uh, you know, two two final questions as I'm talking to folks like yourself and other innovators in the in the insurance industry. Um, and, and the one question that I do want to ask you is, you know, if there was something that the people in the industry that's listening to you and I talk here today can do to take back to their desks. And really start innovating and thinking about things a little bit differently. What do you think that thing is? You know, for me, it was what 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 do I wish I had? You know, and and, and it's something that even you know earlier in my career there was things that I wished I had as far as tools. Um, and 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 you know why don't I have that tool today? Or, or what I wish that I could give my customers. You know, if, you know, if you're dealing directly with with, with policyholders or any type of customers, that you know, what do I wish I could offer my customers? Or what combination do I wish I could offer them? You know, start starting with with you know what pain you have or what you know unique insight you have. I think it's really important. And then also kind of taking a, a bit of a survey, you know, self evaluation, saying, well, what, what am I really uniquely um, qualified to do or what unique insight do I particularly have that that that, that could be of, of value and like starting from there I think is a, a great way to, to to get the ball rolling absolutely you know so uh so just just a question about uh risk possible so are you guys already available or if not when are you officially launching so right now we are in a in pilot pilot phase in in a, in a company here in in Florida um, you know trying to to get the you know connect all the pieces and, and getting everything running and, and really getting what are the core uh, value statements um, I am every day <laughs> waking up going for a run sometimes listening to to podcasts like yours uh, and, uh, and 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 working hard so by you know mid 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 next year uh, you know being able to to say hey Open for business. Let's 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 sign up for uh, you know uh, real real accounts and and go and go from there. That's that's the target. And every day, day in out, day in day out, that's that's the goal. Are you working with uh, carriers to pilot uh, your product in your platform? Yeah, uh, in, in particular for the the restaurant data set and then the commercial uh, uh, trucking. Um, I'd love to to talk to any carriers out there that are interested on, in the nursing facility, uh, data set. Um, that, that's the one that, that I'm, uh, I think there's a tremendous value in, but, uh, but not connected with a carrier right now. Yeah. So, so what I would say for folks that are listening, um, if you do, uh, have, and if you do have a portfolio of, uh, nursing facilities, I, you know, just, just thinking about what, uh, this platform is doing. I think this is absolutely a great opportunity to really understand the uh, the changes in exposure within your portfolio and potentially do a pilot with Michael and the uh, risk possible team. You know, so so Michael, uh, if 
uh, if people did want to get in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, email um, michael at riskpossible.com. Well, Michael, you know, once again, I do want to say thank you for your time here today. Um, I, I believe that what you're doing is going to provide a lot of value back out to uh, the insurance community. And I feel that with that value, it's just going to help us to improve everything that we talked about around the underwriting portfolio and then which is going to further uh, translate into, uh, you know, better profitability for the insurance organization. So once again, I just want to say thank you. Oh, Abel, thank you so much. It's been a been a blast. Like, it's always fun to talk to people that are you know sharing the same things and get excited about the same things. So thanks so much. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the Insurance Innovators Unscripted Podcast. Don't forget to keep the conversation going. You know, just join us on our Twitter, our Facebook page, or you can connect with me on LinkedIn just to have the discussion. If there's anything that you're interested in talking about or hearing about on the podcast in the realm of insurance innovation, don't hesitate to reach out to me and I'll get the right person on the podcast to have that discussion. See you next week.